0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app.
1: I'm here to uh, introduce today um, Alberto Vollmer, um, who will be our keynote um, um, speaker um, on the theme Fresh Thinking on U.S. Policies Towards Authoritarian States in the Americas. Alberto is someone who um, is a business leader in Venezuela. um, His family actually owns uh, the largest um, uh, rum brand in the country. It was founded in 1796. Um, He continues to be in in Venezuela operating. Um, In our earlier panels, we spoke about those business leaders that have left and now are living in exile in South Florida or Houston. Um, And Alberto and his family, they have stayed. Um, Alberto is an out-of-the-box thinker, a social problem solver. He has been involved in several social ventures in addition to his business. He is founder of a project called Proyecto Alcatraz, which is a rehabilitation program for criminal gangs in in his home state of Aragya. And he succeeded in dismantling 11 notorious gangs uh, in that state, reducing the level of violent crime, And it's also been a model that's been replicated in Colombia and El Salvador. Alberto is an Ashoka Fellow, as well as a Young Global Leader Fellow from the World Economic Forum. Alberto also serves as Honorary Consul um, for South Korea in Venezuela. And also Alberto is a proud board member of the Institute of the Americas. Uh, at this time, it gives me great honor to um, introduce Alberto, who will give you some of his perspectives on uh, U.S. policies towards authoritarian states um, in the Americas, with a focus on Venezuela. Alberto, take it away.
0: Richard, thank you very much for that very generous uh, introduction. Um, not sure if I deserve it all, but anyway, um, I uh, really I, I want to thank uh, IOA and uh, UCTV for this invitation. And especially for the opportunity to talk about um, this topic, which is basically policies toward authoritarian states in the Americas and and, and especially fresh thinking amid changing geopolitics. I think I'd really like to sort of latch onto that title, fresh thinking amid changing geopolitics. Um, Richard asked me to talk a little bit about about myself and a little bit about uh, the company, so I will do that. just in, in terms of context, um, as, as Richard said, I'm chairman and CEO of, of a 225 year old uh, startup um, in Venezuela. So it's, uh, it's called Santa Teresa. And we, um, we, we, we've been producing uh, agricultural products for many years, of course, uh, cocoa, sugar, coffee. We still pr- grow uh, all three of these. Um, and it is a company uh, that has survived all kinds of stuff, um, not only in the last twenty years, but also in the past two hundred and twenty-five years, where we survived uh, wars, dictatorships, economic crises, and all kinds of uh, difficulties. Actually, my uh, there's a, a really beautiful anecdote that's actually been in the his- uh, history books here, where my great-great-grandmother was actually bought by a slave. So. Um, so anyway, uh, we've seen a lot worse, I would say, not us personally, but let's say the history of the organization. And uh, I always say that living in Venezuela is like uh, living dog years. You know, one year is equivalent to about seven um, because lots of stuff goes on. Never a dull moment that I can say. Um, so in these past 20 years, with, as I've been sort of at the helm of the of the uh, organization, we've had all kinds of uh, adventures we've had: land invasions, expropriations, confiscations. Uh, business wives, sorry, business wise, we've seen all kinds of uh, volatility in terms of rules, uh, uncertainty. Uh, basically, the rules of the game change almost, or at least uh, the few, a few years ago, they were changing on a weekly basis. So, of course, that's always difficult. You know, businesses to grow, they need, they need a stable playing field. And, and when they're changing game the, the rules of the game every week, it, it can make it difficult. We've survived hyperinflation and, and uh, when, when many times one hears the word hyperinflation and one you know, basically thinks of it as, as a theoretical thing. But anyone who survives hyperinflation is basically prepared for almost anything. Uh, we, we reached somewhere between two million and 20 million percent inflation because when you've got that type of inflation, you don't know how much it actually is. Uh, at a certain point we had four official exchange rates, and the only one that actually worked was the the illegal black market rate. Um, apart from that, we've also sort of been um, uh, privy to the collateral effects of the of the um, sanctions. Uh, so anyway, it's been it's it's been a rough ride, a, a rough ride. Um, one of the things that uh, Richard was referring to was in 2003, the company was attacked by by a gang. And and, and of course, since we didn't have a reliable re- reliable police force or, or legal system, we basically turned that around. And we the long story short is that we ended up by recruiting this this gang and then we. We ended up by recruiting another ten gangs, and as a, as a result, we've been able to lower the homicide rates and the the, the violent crime in our region over ninety percent. Um, now we're in thirty six prisons nationwide. Uh, and this is the project that is called Project Alcatraz, and this is actually comes uh, comes in handy at least as an experience because um, it basically has to do with uh, treating with. Um, Unwieldy people with difficult people, uh, and which is basically the the topic that we're talking about today. You know, how do you? What are the policies toward authoritarian states? But anyway, I could go on and on. Um, and and quite on the contrary of complaining, um, I think you know these difficulties actually give you give you an edge. Um, and as my mother always puts it, man man is a bad weather animal. Um, and I would say that Venezuela is almost like the mecca of extreme sports in terms of business. Uh, so anyway, so going going into the subject about uh, what what we want to talk about, fresh thinking on change on amid these uh, changing geopolitics in these past twenty years. Um, uh, in the team, in the te- in my team, we've been able to learn and observe many many things in terms of politics, economy. Uh, basically the social uh, uh, arena, geopolitics, negotiations. And, and one of the frustrating things that we've uh, had to live through is basically seeing Venezuela experiment uh, in this socialism of the 21st century, fueled by an extraordinary oil boom, while the rest of the region was getting on, basically getting its act together, um, economically, business-wise, One of the things I like to think about in the region is that uh, 20 years ago, we we saw in in the past 20 years, we've seen the rise of multilatinas. We have, uh, you know, before it used to be a compartmentalized region where countries didn't really do, they did business within their countries, but we didn't see a lot of cross-border business. And that has actually evolved uh, very much so in the past 20 years. Uh, I believe the region has evolved, uh, although the the rest of the world hasn't really realized how it has evolved in these past 20 years. Um, I believe it's a region of extraordinary uh, opportunity, uh, especially if the right stimulus or incentives are set in place. But meanwhile, and and this, of course, is my very personal opinion. um, You know, I always ask myself, what has been the U.S.'s policy towards Latin America, towards the region. And I actually wonder: is, is there really is there a policy? And I I would I would um, argue that there isn't a real policy. I mean, not not a real strategy. If policy is is strategy, I don't think there is one. So, uh, and some people actually feel that the U.S. has forgotten about the region when they went off to the first Iraq War. Um. And but when when I've I've thought about this a lot and I'm trying to think when. When was the cutoff moment? When did the U.S. forget, or 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 maybe um, when did it get confused about dealing with the region? And I I would actually go back to the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, and and since then, um, and, I, and I have to clarify, I'm not a historian. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a civil engineer. I'm not a polit- uh, political scientist. But um, every time I think of this, I think uh, I'm, I'm more. I convince myself more that Cuba won uh, with their narrative in the region. And if I were to boil down that narrative, the narrative has been evil empire, do not trespass. Um, And I would argue that the U.S. uh, has been confused since and hasn't known how to respond or react. So... um, I I seem to feel that the policy, whatever they call the policy, is not a a long-term strategic approach towards the region. So what happens, so if that were true, um, if that were true, what happens to anyone without a strategy? The first thing that happens is that you can go in any direction within the 360 degrees of the compass. And the second is that you wallow around in short-term fits and starts. Two days ago, I was on a different panel, uh, and I was asked in Spanish. uh, I'll say it in Spanish, and then I'll translate. But in Spanish, it's "qué esperar de esta novena cumbre de las Américas." What and so "esperar" is has basically two meanings. One is expect or hope for. Um, So it has that double. It was a double-edged question. um, And what did I expect, or what? Uh, so, so basically, I, I, I answered those two questions. So, what do I expect uh, will be talked uh, about during this um, uh, next summit? And and um, let me see. Uh, I I um, and of course, that is if if the summit does finally occur. I I don't think we'll be talking about strategy. I think there will be a lot a lot of conversation about um, uh, immigration. A lot of focus on immigration. I believe it's very important. Yes. Uh, strategic, perhaps. Reactive, certainly. I think drugs will probably be another another one of those topics. Um uh but once again, it's about containment. Trade, good. Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba, I'm sure will be talked about, but these these discussions generally end up in in uh in two turfs. One has to do with propaganda and the other one has to do with brave statements from from faraway pulpits. Uh, of course, the, the return or resurgence of populism and the left in the region, of course, those are things that worry everybody. But my, my question is, um, is there a way to actually talk about um, strategic, in- have a strategic intelligent discussion about what the strategy and the policy should be towards the long-term policy towards the region? So my question now about, about, uh, you know, basically thinking, let's say about fresh or fresh thinking amid changing geopolitics. I would, my question would be, how do we change that conversation? How do we go from short-term to long-term? How do we change the game? How do we change the relationship with the region of who's north of the Rio Grande and who's south of the Rio Grande? Uh, How may we start? Having or kicking off an intelligent discussion about a long-term, truly tr- strategic policy for Latin America and the whole region. Um, how do we start having uh, the conversation about geopolitical conversa- competition? Geopolitical competition of soft power, and who is, by the way, who is winning that competition of soft soft power? Is it China or is it the U.S.? So I'll, I'll switch to China a little a little second just to think about this. I would say that China does have a strategy. China sees the opportunity in the region, and they're not pulling any punches. Uh, they go for the resources, they finance, they mortgage, they swap debt for equity. Uh, and instead of building military bases uh, like the U.S. has, that, are, that not only is it difficult to do, but it's very expensive, um, the Chinese, what they do is they swap. They finance. They buy ports. They buy power, telecom, airports, roads, and at the end of the day, they have consumers pay that bill. And I would say it's a lot more efficient than having military bases. Um, uh, and other countries have been picking up on on this on this cue uh, since the North has forgotten the South and has basically, uh, you know, um, left this this uh, terrain. Um void of competition, then we have other countries like Iran, like Russia, like Turkey, like India, who have also been uh seeing the gaping opportunity in the region. They see El Dorado, they see the markets, they see the talent, they see the upside. So uh once again, how may we change the attitude the North has towards the South? How do we go from the mindset of seeing the region as a threat to seeing the region as an opportunity? I think that that is. That is the lens that should be driving strategy, you know, from threat to opportunity. Um, because when, when you see things only as a threat, then you're already on the losing side. Um, so how do we go from an antagonistic approach to a constructive approach? How do we go from a self-righteous approach to a pragmatic, grounded approach? How may we go from containment to uh, exploration? Because I think that, that is part of what we have to do. We have to start exploring. How may we see the region as an opportunity instead of a threat? I'm sorry if I repeat these things, but I want to get this point across. Um, and I'm sure. So, for instance, just just as an example, I'm sure that in DC there are a whole bunch of people that are worried about Petro rising to power in Colombia or Lula coming back in Brazil. And and I would I would uh, I would ask, um, what if those same people that are scared of this um, that also are have been thinking uh, about extricating the situations that exist in Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. what if they were to embrace those situations and see how to turn uh, these situations into opportunity? I know this is if this might sound easier said than done it, it absolutely is but i'll but i 'll have some some comments here and and um, so recently. Uh, about a month ago, we had a U.S. delegation from the United States government fly down to Venezuela. I actually celebrate that. Um, excuse my French. My, that it was a ballsy move uh, at, because I believe that engagement is the only way to change reality. Of course, sanctions are there. Um, uh, they and and you've had the conversation on sanctions. Um, in in venezuela we have a, a, I find one of the wisest sayings is i'll say it in spanish and then translate but is hablando se entiende la gente you know talking people understand each other right? it's quite basic um so i i um so one about this this uh this idea of engagement with these with these difficult countries um we are a a region uh where um, we're emotional, we're close, we need uh, relationships. Um, and I understand um, sanctions are leverage, and leverage gets people to, to the table. That's probably necessary. But at the same time, you need that uh, personal engagement with the counterparts. And even, even if there is a very strong narrative against the U.S. in the region, everybody the populations, even even the lead even those leaders that, that the US doesn't like, they actually want to engage with the. US. So it's it's about education. I think it's about um, investing in the opportunity instead of seeing Venezuela, uh, sorry these, these the region as a, as a threat. And just to finish, I'd like to sort of because maybe there are some maybe it's more useful to go into questions uh, uh, before we finish, I see three areas of work um, that are, these are just very simple pointers, but I think, what what does the region most need? We need, the whole region needs training in public service um, that the US and Canada have plenty of, very good um, benchmarks. Uh, We are in need of innovation. Uh, Same thing. Uh, So cross-purposing that. And I think there's this this other element, which is part of that soft power that I was beginning to talk about, it, uh, well, that I said at the beginning, which is rapprochement, exchange programs. I know the, the, the State Department has an important um, exchange program, but I would, instead of preaching to the choir, I would those exchange programs through specialized institutes, through um, um, universities, or through different agencies, I would actually be searching for uh leaders on the on the let's say on the on the different sides of the spectrum political spectrum be it um populists or or leftists or whatever you whatever you want to call them but I would be bringing them to the states for basically those that um that rapprochement because I think relationships are key in the region and and I would definitely invest in that so um, I see opportunities in in building a brain trust uh, lessons, basically focusing on lessons learned on in terms of economic uh, models, focus on results and not ideology. I think of uh, best practices in PPPs and pub- public private partnerships. Um, as I said before, public service and innovation. Um, I see opportunities for financing and investing in infrastructure and education and basically competing with China because China has been winning that that competition. And of course, uh, I'll repeat again, the exchange programs through specialized institutes, universities, agencies, what have you. Um, so anyway, I'll finish here. Um, Richard, I don't know if uh, if we have time, more time for, for questions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I see also Richard Feinberg um, online so he could join the conversation. Um, you, you spoke about, Changing the narrative, which I think is, is important. You, know, you also talked about the need to focus more um, on opportunities as opposed to threats. Um, you spoke about exchange programs, potential to in, expand engagement. As you know, and I, I lived in Venezuela two years, so I can attest to that, the, there is a strong tie and relationship that, that, that Venezuelan people have with the United States, and it's historic. It goes back many, many, many years. Um, so there's that natural fini. How, how, do, how do we bring that back, um, um, given everything that's happened over the last 20 plus years?
0: You know, I, I, I always take it down to uh, personal engagement. Um, and uh, when, when I say this, I mean, it's always and, and I always think of. Uh, so, so actually, there's there's uh, one story mm-hmm. that I always like to tell, which is when we when we were invaded in 2000. Um, the leader of the invasion was, of course, he, had, he, he was an ex-military guy, officer who had participated in the coup with TARES with in 1992. And, of course, he was pumped up with ideology. And, but as soon as I realized there was no way of, of fixing the problem legally, I, I basically engaged with him on a personal note. And, and through that engagement, we actually were able to build an agreement which has lasted forever, but years later, about a year and a half later, he asked me to be the godfather of his son. We developed this personal relationship. And not actually seven years afterwards, he became, uh, he actually worked, he works in the company today. He's worked in the company now for 11 years. So what, what does this mean? You know, with, um, yes, you need, uh, you absolutely need leverage when you're at a negotiation table, but you also need the engagement with, with your counterpart. And and I think that so I was using a very small example, but I think that for the region, for these countries that have had these uh, that are that say a, a stone in in the shoe for the region, um, you need you need that engagement also, and and um, and that only comes with with contact and with developing you know it's it's a, a negotiation. Uh, and I think I think part of the problem that we have had here in Venezuela is that you actually, with those sanctions, you're looking for a regime change. You want to extricate the problem. You're gonna you want to get rid of the problem instead of transform the problem. I think here, the key is to transform the problem into a solution, into an opportunity.
1: In one of our prior panels, uh, Javier um, Caralis spoke about um, change occurring from those that stayed. Um, as you know, there's a large expatriate community of Venezuelans, many living in South Florida, um, some in Houston, others in Colombia, global now. Um, but um, what role do you see the expatriate community playing in, in affecting change in Venezuela long term? You talked about opportunities. There was a huge brain drain in, in Venezuela uh, that resulted um, when Chavez came in. How can that, be, uh, that positive force be brought back? and um and will it um or i mean is it going to be dependent on firms like yours to to try to um positively change the country from within
0: well that that that's a that's a, a huge um topic to to uh digest because actually what what happened so at first people were leaving you know basically scared scared of the country because a lot was for the, Based on insecurity but also loss of opportunities um, and as those that left and those that stayed there there was sort of like some tension initially uh, i think uh, one of the key roles has been for those who have stayed is basically understanding those who had to leave right I, because i think uh and i and and there has been like a trend it's been really uh, interesting to see a trend grow uh basically uh where where those who have stayed uh go out to those who have left saying listen we need you guys we need you guys back and we understand why you're there you're over there and you can be also useful for the country um of course you always have those that are sort of on the uh on the edge of the spectrum you know on the on the on the spectrum where where they're you know they just want um uh more conflict and they they want to get rid of the government because they still have they have that big issue, but I guess we we just have to go past beyond the past and sort of uh, and look at the future. and And I think so. One of the things that's happening now, it's still, of course, it's a small trickle, but we're having we're having a lot of those Venezuelans that. Uh, did actually have done very well abroad coming back to Venezuela and in and, and key positions, CEO positions and stuff like that. that. We're beginning to see that. And it's very interesting. I really think that the role of of that diaspora is that they they actually they have served first a, f- a great purpose, which has been to get the world to know Venezuela, you know, the arepas before you couldn't find an arepa, you know, a sale of arepas, you know, uh, an arepa stand or something like that. Now you go almost anywhere in the world and you have arepas. Um, But also, so they have actually gotten the name of Venezuela, the brand of Venezuela out there. And then the second thing, they have a second role that I see, which is when they come back, they will be bringing all that experience, all the hardships that they had to go through to survive. And that will uh, certainly toughen the fabric of, of our society. Want to talk about some of the
1: challenges that Venezuela is currently facing? Um, we've all experienced COVID. Um, Venezuela was unusually impacted by by the pandemic. Um, how do you see the opportunities in coming out of COVID for um, for some of this potential um, uh, engagement that that you speak about? Um, vaccines, obviously, their, their vaccine distribution has been somewhat limited um, in terms of. Uh, accessibility to RNA vaccines, um, uh, and uh, that's impacted public health in the country. Uh, but just like to get some of your thoughts on in terms of Venezuela's recovery post COVID.
0: Well, um, it's it's interesting, but uh, COVID uh, actually, when you look at the rest of the region, uh, Venezuela hasn't been hit; it wasn't hit as hard as as other countries in the region. Um I guess we were sort of lucky or let's say the regi- the government was lucky the regime was lucky because at the same time that covid hit the country we the country ran out of gasoline so everybody had to stay home um so the the spread of covid initially was actually a lot slower than in many other countries then of course we didn't have access to vaccines and we were very slow at getting the vaccines but then little by little Vaccines started trickling in through uh, from Russia and then from China. Of course, with the development of the relationship, because of the f- sanctions, um, and this is this has been like the 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 very obvious thing, you know, as as sanctions were uh, piled upon Venezuela, uh, Venezuela was looking elsewhere uh, to to basically solve its short term situation, and. It, so it turned to China, it turned to, to Russia, and we got lots of uh, vaccines from China and Russia. So when you think of it, um, and once again, that's uh, a lost opportunity for the for the region, for for the northern part of the region, um, and it also opened up for for business for for business with China, for business with Russia, and I think that business. So thinking of of other opportunities. So just yesterday, just yesterday, Maduro. Um, um, uh, announced that he was going to uh issue between five and ten percent of shares of the public of of the government held companies those comp- a lot of these companies that were either either they belonged to the government or were nationalized he's actually putting them on the stock exchange so this is a i mean think of it um as as the like, this this is a like a a, a real game changer in terms of uh, the economy, in terms of market. Uh, when you think of you know all the ideological uh, framework that you had here, go do, taking that decision in in these times is actually indicative of the opportunities that are to come. Thank
1: you, uh, Richard Feinberg. You had a um, uh, question for Alberto.
2: Yeah, sure. Thanks. First, uh, thank you very much for your very uh, lucid and and interesting and wide ranging set of comments. Uh, uh, Just a few uh, responses. Uh, You you argued for engagement with, let's say, progressive left or center of governments. And I think that is to give them credit what the Biden administration is trying to do. You'll notice they're definitely want to embrace uh, Boric in Chile. I think he'll be given red carpet treatment at the summit in Los Angeles. Uh, there's a major effort also to work closely with Giamara Castro. Uh, Vice President Harris was sent to her inauguration to uh, signal that. So I do think uh, there's an effort to do what you're suggesting uh, in Mm -hmm. terms of working with a a range of governments. Uh, On the other point you raised about, let's focus more on opportunities rather than uh, threats, uh, something that I have long advocated. So unfortunately, the the national security apparatus which in large measure we have to recognize is the defense department and the intelligence communities they're all about threats and they respond yeah. to threats and so when you try to rephrase it in terms of opportunities well then you get the economic agencies on your side treasury and and the department of commerce uh, but they don't carry as much weight in the national security debate and that's just a problem we have uh, the other issue uh, that i do want to point out which court uh, cake and others have emphasized uh, the, yeah, In 1994, when we started the Summit of the Americas, we had an unusual convergence uh, in the Western Hemisphere between U.S. policies and the policies of, of most of the leadership in Latin America. And that enabled us uh, to put together a series of very positive uh, proposals uh, of the sort that I think you're, you're suggesting. Uh, and we had that, uh, that sense of solidarity and convergence in values and purposes for about 10 years. Uh, but then it began to erode with Chavez and and other developments, and uh, we haven't been able to get back to that golden moment uh, since. And that does make it uh, hard to. Uh, we all advocate that yes, multilateralism is the way to go, but you need willing you need willing partners. Exactly, and, and that's what the United States has in Western Europe, and that's why we can work with them in Western Europe. Uh, but if I go to the White House and say, hey, you know, we can do ex- all these exciting things with our partners in Latin America, and they'll, they'll say, like, uh, like, who are you talking about? <laughs> you know? yeah. So so this is, this is just the unfortunate reality of uh, multilateral diplomacy uh, here, because policymakers will say they only have so many hours in the day. And if we have close allies, we can work with them. If not, we look for other regions of the world where we do have those opportunities. So thank you and sorry for the noise.
0: <laughs> no, no, no worries, Richard. No, I, I, I totally understand that. It's, um, and uh, and you're totally right. You're, you know, explaining those uh, those barriers to to the to, to that approach to a uh, to it. But but I always think, you know, yes, it's true. You you have to cater to your your closest allies because it's more efficient uh, time use. But at the same time, I sometimes think, well, thinking of of the reason, you know, you basically so for instance for for. Talking about China, uh, sorry, talking about Venezuela, you know, you're basically giving up the biggest oil reserves over to, well, not not your best ally, um, and uh, and you you just think, well, strategic geopolitically and geostrategically, um uh, maybe if if they're not your closest allies, maybe you should be thinking about the future. That's that's my my point, you know, and how do you change that conversation? Where it's not just focus on your good friends you know your relationship with your good with your good friends you know have a relationship with your important with important uh players that will basically tend to to strengthen the national interests or the interests of the of the nation let's say.
1: well so on that um how realistic do you think that uh will be in the case of Venezuela? Do you think there's an opportunity for engagement? Uh, Juan Gonzalez was down recently, uh, post um, um, start of the Ukraine war, um, trying to negotiate potential um, oil um, flows to the United States as a hedge against Russia. Um, what are your thoughts?
0: Look, I, I think uh, yeah, I think there is there is opportunity there. Um, you know one has to remember Maludo uh he's a negotiator he's a tough negotiator but he's a negotiator he's uh one has to remember he was a union leader um and uh he you know i think are several um messages that he has sent out uh, throughout the different years where he is he is willing to negotiate of course it's not going to be a pushover but um, I think I think there is room to to re basically I, th- I think there's room to reinstitutionalize uh, the republic. I think there's room to to you know build on those different pillars that that have been so so uh, uh, hurt in the past. Um, and uh, but but there is room, and I think um, you know when you. What you were saying before that, you know, the U.S. is so important for for all Venezuelans, for the whole population. It's it's very deeply embedded Um, that that goes all the way to even to the military, you know, and to people that are in government. Uh, So the the um, incentive to get close to the U.S. again um, is huge. The only thing is uh, setting. Of course you have the 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 leverage that is already there but you need also the incentives and and I think uh, a roadmap is necessary I think that if if there were to be a, a clear roadmap um, that was used by by the US and of course by the Venezuelan opposition um, uh, there 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 is space for negotiating but once again the whole thing is, you know the cost of uh, the cost of alternation. Let's call it that way. Um, today is infinite. So if that cost of alternation is not um, is not reduced, uh, it's going to be very difficult to have free and fair elections. So basically, free and fair ele- free and fair elections will have to come with with that type of negotiation where there has to be uh, uh, you know gives and and uh, asks and um, and the, the other thing one has, I always remember reading about um, the whole process, the negotiation process in, in Colombia, where there was a big discussion in the, at, the, at the very high levels with Santos and, and his ministers. You know, it, the whole thing is, um, the whole dilemma is justice versus peace, right? That was their dilemma. And justice looks backwards and peace looks forwards. And so the whole thing is where do you strike that balance? Uh how how do you arrive to that balance where you have you have some justice but you mainly you you know you you have to be looking at the future. So I think that that is obviously the biggest challenge but I do think there's room for for negotiation.
1: So this last point um you also you, you reference the opposition as you know um, the U.S. government had rec- has been in recognizing the alternative government of uh, Juan Guaido, who was, um, who you know, had been um, who had announced his um, claim as the alternative president of, of Venezuela. Yet Maduro is the you know remains you know the leader in running the country. How do you how do you see resolving that impasse, um, given the number of countries that have supported Guaido? and And that fact that guaido's agenda has largely uh, not been successful
0: well, you know, I think um guaido was part of a plan that didn't work um and just to put it that way i think every, i think uh, whoever whoever is being closely uh involved knows knows what i mean i think uh you know that everybody was thinking that it was going to be uh a pushover um talking about beginning of two thousand nineteen where all these um, sanctions were going to be put into place and the military were just going to turn. And that just didn't happen. Um, and so then what? The, the, the big problem was there wasn't, in my opinion, there wasn't sufficient preparation in terms of what if it doesn't work. They didn't have a backup plan. So they just tried and tried once again and again. Uh, same thing um, with little learning. And I think uh, everybody has finally reached the conclusion that the effects of that strategy have been that Maduro has been Maduro and his government have been a lot more have, have basically consolidated uh, i mean to a huge extent um, the the opposition has basically been gotten weak the, the uh, have been has been weakened uh, has is very divided um, and then the other thing is well and of course I'm not, I'm not I'm not only criticizing the opposition of course they 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 haven't had an easy uh hand because they've ha- been having to face a government that that has been very harsh on them um but at the same time you know then you have uh politicians that have stayed in venezuela have uh why don't have stayed in venezuela of course but um but, I, you know, part of, the, part of the thing is what is the representation? How do you build grassroots again? How do you build the organizations again? And, um, and I think that, that's part of, the, part of the big challenge and part of what has to be renegotiated. The other thing is that I would say that our, as, as per our economy that was inflated from oil, uh, oil money for decades, so has politics, and I think part of the readjustment that we're suffering in in the economy, we're going to be, or ha, we have been, uh, basically seeing the same effect in in politics, where these organizations that were basically uh, um, not blown up, uh, how do you say it, inflated by by oil money, are beginning to take their their true dimensions, and and now they have to, you know, they have to they have to be feet on the ground and and uh, Building true leadership from grassroots, and I think that's that's going to be it's going to it's going to take a lot of effort, um, and of course a lot of negotiation to to be able to build back those uh, political uh, let's say uh, structures and, and uh, that that political organization.
1: As, as we've discussed, you're one of the business people that have stayed, um, you know, like uh, in Venezuela, you know, you've got U.S. business interests in Nicaragua that, um, that are doing business there. Um, obviously, um, businesses that, that push the envelope in terms of their politics um, um, have a limited life. You've been able to sustain your business in Venezuela. What's been your secret?
0: If I were to put it in a sentence, it would be be unconditionally constructive, right? So, for instance, I'll, I'll I'll refer not to politics because it's a very dangerous that is a very dangerous arena. But for instance, in in uh, in with the with these gangs, you know, these gangs these gangs we're talking about people who have committed the worst crimes that that exist. And uh, but still, how do you keep an unconditional, uh, un- un- unconditionally constructive approach? And that that is n- never easy because it sort of clashes with with um, emotions, with emotions like fear, emotions like, am, am I doing the right thing? Uh, am I being a, an accomplice? And so uh, as with these gangs, um, actually what the mission here is make this place a better place. Right. And and it goes through people making a place, making somewhere a better place. Uh, goes it has to go through people and many times you have to be ready to you know uh, be close to that uh, invisible line where you you're having to negotiate with people you don't agree with or you don't like. Um, and I think in, in our case, um, because the, the other thing that happens is that it all at the end it all boils down to humanity, right? and the humanity in that other person, even if you do not agree or you do not get along or you you don't like the other side. And, um, and so in our case, we were, initially, we were, of course, because of our history, we were seen as almost like an enemy of the state. But as soon as we, and we realized that we didn't have weapons, we didn't have the law, we didn't have, you know, the political backing, we didn't have any of that. All we had was the the, the ability or the, the possibility of sitting down with our adversary and respecting our adversary, even if we didn't agree or like the adversary, whoever that was, it could have been Chavez, it could have been anybody. Um and and with that respect, well then you start you start um uh you know you start getting respected back and and when you start getting respected back then you start building on you know you half of half of the battle has already been won and the whole thing is staying true to one's principles and one's values but uh respecting your adversary even if you don't agree with their ideas and i think that is what has been our secret um and uh, and everybody recognizes that, uh, you know, uh, even even in the most extreme parts of of, of the of the government. So I think that I would say that that would be the secret.
1: Thank you. So uh, to, to bring, bring it back home to the theme of this discussion and this idea of um, of being constructive, what constructive um, feedback could you provide? the United States about future engagement with Venezuela in light of changing geopolitics?
0: Well, I think, I think they're, first of all, they're on the right path already. Um, I, I would say, you know, short-term local politics shouldn't kidnap the long-term interests of the United States. I think that for me is, is key in all of this. You know, so if, if the region is important for the U.S., um, you know, they, you know, somehow there has to be some kind of, some way, so of course you brought the administration, which I think uh, has a clear, um, or has a, yeah, I'd say a clear roadmap to, to, um, to building a negotiation, uh, in the case of Venezuela, I don't, I hope for Cuba Nicaragua also, I don't know those cases as well. Um, but I, I think then it's very difficult for them to deploy these ideas um, because of uh, local politics, and and I don't know if there's a way of cutting through that. Because meanwhile, while they're abandoning the region, you know, while the U.S. is abandoning the region, others are entering the region uh, with a very different set of values, with a diff- very different way of doing things. Where where uh, it will it will pose bigger problems and probably threats uh in the near future are you an optimist about venezuela uh
1: looking looking long term um uh you're there you've obviously you've you know you've committed long term what's your assessment
0: i've i've often been accused of being an optimist um i am i am very optimistic for venezuela actually um you know i think there's there's uh we're already beginning to see um you know shoots, uh, green shoots, uh, we're beginning to see, so, uh, for instance, one of, one of the exciting things, so, for, for the last, so, in the last 100 years, we have only had nine years of free, almost free monetary policy. Um, that, that's just to give you an idea of, of what, what effect that has, has had in the past on the economy. I think we're turning to a more open economy um, where, you know, I think um, uh, technologically, uh, the world is a very different place. And I think Venezuela is following in line with that. Maybe, maybe a little behind, but, but the world at the end is going to be catching up. Um, I think that politically, uh, it all depends on this negotiation which I think is going to take a long while. It will probably take, uh, I, I, if you ask me, it will be a process from now to 2030. Um, uh, not that I'm being pessimistic about that. I'm, I think it's going to be a slow, gradual process, uh, which will, but I think it will be a very positive one. And I think uh, Venezuela will be, uh, I mean, with all the resources that we have, the town that we have, the the location, the geolocation that Venezuela has, um, if we more or less get our act together and we can we can basically uh, uh, reinstitutionalize institutionalize um, the different uh, you know the, let's say the the different institutions of of the of the of the uh, government of the republic, I think we can we can and have a more open, mm-hmm. more healthy economy. This will this will be a, a very interesting place, and we're just at the beginning of that.
1: Thank you, Alberto. It's been a a pleasure to have you uh, in this conversation today.
0: You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.